So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the reasoning behind some of what is up here, which, um, you know, I think is important for you to understand when you're uh, trying to implement something from a local church standpoint, okay? If you look here at what is on the screen, you'll, you'll be familiar probably with the idea of the agricultural process of making disciples that Jesus gave us, preparing the soil of the heart. How do you prepare the soil of the heart? Friendship, service, community, what have you. Building relationships. Okay, And then this is planting the seed. How might you do that? Okay, let's hold on just for a little bit on that. Supper club would be here because unless you are... Uh, supper club can be here, but let me, let me be clear about the difference between here and here. Uh, seed, Jesus said, the seed is the Word of God. So there are a lot of valuable things that we do that are building relationships that are not necessarily yet getting to the point of sharing Bible truth. Okay? As a general rule, that would be supper clubs, though there may be some supper clubs where we're starting to move into some seed planting, and that you know, would be valid as well. But that's the distinction that you would sometimes see. This, since it's including the Word of God, would be like spiritual conversations you would have, giving your personal testimony, you're moving into spiritual things. Um, and then what we often emphasize is uh, planting seeds through literature, truth-filled literature, and media, and things like that. So you're, you're often testing the soil here. So here you're preparing the soil. Here you're testing it. You're planting and seeing if something begins to grow. And if the interest begins to grow, then you've got to cultivate that, right? You've got to water it. You've got to shine the sun on it. You've got to weed it, etc. And that takes a while while it's growing. And this is the process of ongoing Bible studies, okay? And then, at some point, you don't want to study the Bible forever, you know, and at some point you want them to make decisions based on what they're learning. So that's the harvest. Harvesting is, it can happen in Bible studies, but it often happens through public evangelism, anywhere where you're making appeals for people to make decisions for Christ. And that can be decisions uh, to follow certain elements of the truth or the, uh, you know, that gateway decision of baptism where they surrender all to, to following Christ. Then, after you've baptized someone, of course, you want to preserve the harvest. And the way to preserve the harvest is to train people to work for Christ. And so you're training them to be involved, but you're also at the same time deepening their faith in the Bible, getting them developing spiritual habits of communion with God and walking with God personally, nurturing them with you know, integration into the local church and all that kind of thing. So that's your whole process. Well, at the General Conference, they have something called total member involvement. And um, when I went to interview, uh, I talked about total member involvement because I love it. And uh, Elder Wilson and Dwayne McKee, they kind of were spearheading the development of this initiative at the General Conference, which is about getting every member involved. And I went uh, to the interview at the uh, General Conference prepared because I went onto the TMI website and I pulled down some of their resources, and one of the resources was a, a brochure that said a hundred ways to get involved. And the hundred ways to get involved um, included things like 
letting someone over in the freeway, uh, holding the door open for someone, uh, all, you know, all manner of nice, kind things that you can do. The challenge that I see with that is that if you believe that you are involved in the church because you're being kind in the way that you're interacting with people, then you will never feel that you have any need to be engaged in um, you know, sharing the message or you know, being actively uh, trying to lead souls into the truth. So you know, I talked to him about it and I actually took, it was a, two, it was a brochure and you can, if you open up a brochure, you've got like 60 of them were on one side and then 40 of them were on the other side when I opened it all the way out. And so I took the one side that had like 60 and I highlighted any on there that were not uh, preparing the soil. Okay, Anything that was not preparing the soil. And on, of that 60 on the front page, there were two that were not preparing the soil. And so I showed him, you know, and, and then I got the story, you know, that in essence what happens is uh, total member involvement as they first began, I don't know if you remember, they went to Rwanda. Uh, some of you may have heard that report. In fact, when I was here, I invited Dwayne McKee from the General Conference to come, and, and he gave a little report during one of our meetings. I think it was for Bible Study Offer. Uh, we had a big kickoff. And Dwayne McKee came, and he did a 20-minute uh, presentation on Rwanda and what they did for total member involvement. And as you may know, in Rwanda, through that event, they baptized over 100,000 souls, which was the highest baptism count from any event that's ever been conducted in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And uh, so, and by the way, I've been to Rwanda, and they are still going strong. The very next year, even without General Conference people going there, they had over 50,000 baptisms. And when we talked to them about what they're doing with those baptisms and what their retention is, it was very strong. I mean, very strong. So, um, you know, while you might sometimes worry that those are all gone six months later, that wasn't the case there. Um, very, a, Rwanda is doing very well, beautiful country. Now, which is good after all they went through in Rwanda. Um, now, when TMI started there, and you had different people from the General Conference going and preaching meetings and what have you, there were some who began to uh, say TMI is just about public evangelism. It's not really total member involvement, it's just about public evangelism. So kind of the back, the, the uh, response to that was to start creating things like this brochure that, that made it kind of flip side of you can just hold the door open for somebody or do something, whatever, and that's being involved too. Um, I felt, as I was speaking with them, that they needed a clear way of expressing what is needed for a local church um, to be actually growing versus just being involved. Because you can be involved, you know, and I, and I, I made the point on Sabbath morning, I'll share it again, that personal ministries department, the whole purpose of the personal ministries department is to involve every member, enlist all members and children. I love the word enlist. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty strong word. <laughs> I'm going to sign you up. 
uh, in some form of personal outreach or missionary service. So that's been in the church menu for a long time. So the whole TMI initiative and everything, it's just uh, a little secret for you. The job of the personal ministry department <laughs> always has been. And so I always ask the question, um, if every member was involved, would the church grow? And of course, uh, you know, as I sat there during Sabbath school, I got that resounding yes, and I gave them my response, which is, well, that depends. That depends. Because the process requires everything. Preparing the soil, planting the word, cultivating the interest, harvesting decisions, and then preserving and training. Um, you know, and, and I've mentioned how all these, you could be strong or weak in every area, and you need to be working on all areas, but then what if you have this type of scenario where everybody was doing only one thing, like preparing the soil? By the way, preparing the soil is um, kind of the, the emphasis of um, some of our greatest organizations like ADRA and Adventist Community Services, um, all our health ministry. While it has a, an element of planting, it is primarily preparing the soil. Ellen White describes it that way. She says it's a, an entering wedge, preparing the way for, uh, for other truths to be received into the heart. So this would not cause the church to grow even if everybody was doing it. To me, this is the bigger problem than total member involvement. You see, and that's, I guess that is what I'm trying to get at underneath it all. Here in the North American Division, there's a great uh, initiative, uh, Compassion 10,000 or something like that, and the initiative is all about trying to get Seventh-day Adventists to recognize the need for compassionate service. And I, for one, think it is a pretty spot-on need. Like, we have a problem with um, some of our, the way we look at this type of service in the church in that we have like a particular department or like community service center. And, you know, three ladies who have been working in the community service center for, you know, 65 years are still running the thing, you know. Um, you know, they have to ask the deacon to occasionally help them fix the leak in the roof. You know what I'm saying? You got these saints who have been working this, but the younger generation is not feeling it. And not just the younger generation, but the entire church. I mean, it's not something that we have always looked at as a church-wide thing. But as long as the church is doing something, then we feel we've got that phase covered. This is part of the problem that I sense we have. So I don't have any problem with the emphasis on compassionate service, but I do feel that it swallows up what I believe, okay, and I can speak only for myself here, but what I believe is the central part of evangelism, which is the message. You see, this doesn't negate the importance of, you know, being having Christ-like characters in our, in our witness and, 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 and Matthew 25 and making sure that we are, um, you know, visiting the sick and making sure that we are caring for those who need cared for and all those things. But in order for someone to be saved by the gospel, 
they eventually have got to hear it. Okay, that's what, that is the part about the early church that made it grow. When you look at the picture of the early church and what made it grow, it was the message. Because your kindness is wonderful and you can attract people and you can, and you can cause them to have confidence in you and everything else, but you do not really want their final destination to be looking at you favorably. You understand what I'm saying? Ultimately, that's for the purpose of then being able to share with them what has brought you to the point that you are, which is Jesus Christ. And so you're trying to draw them to Christ. That's the whole point of preparing the soil. So we've got to get to this uh, issue that you can't have a, a one thing that you consider evangelism and then... As long as everybody do, is doing one thing, then that's fine. In fact, I hear some people say, I read uh, in a, an article, I'm trying to remember where it was, I think it was in an e-newsletter I had that um, came to me here in the North American Division, and it was talking about this one pastor who was planting a church, and in the planting of this church, they... Um, they said it was growing greatly. They had some innovative methods and what have you. And basically, the article said, the way we've grown the church is through intentional acts of kindness. Now, let me be really clear with you about something. You cannot grow a church with intentional acts of kindness. The only way you can grow a church with intentional acts of kindness is if you are baptizing people without them knowing what Seventh-day Adventists believe. Okay, now you can grow attendance, perhaps, through intentional acts of kindness. You could grow attendance. But even then, that will be short-lived unless there is a conviction of what we believe. See, the divine part of it, the divine part of it is the Word. When you read in, in the book of Acts, it's the Word that caused them to grow. I mean, the Word caused them to grow mightily. And so... Unless the word is introduced, you're not really having growth. So what's happening is people are presenting things as evangelism, innovative ideas about evangelism, but they're actually only one phase of evangelism. And they're, they're putting that forward as if it is a replacement almost of what we've done in the past, and it can't be a replacement of what we've done in the past. So what the GROW initiative is really doing is helping to make the point that you cannot replace truth-sharing with compassion. You also cannot be successful in truth-sharing without compassion. So what it's trying to do is help people to understand that we, unless we're balanced in this, then we're off the rails. Another real big problem is this. And this is one of the reasons that I uh, really tried to emphasize it through this model. When you look at preparing the soil, okay, let me, let me talk about these for a moment. Every phase of the disciple-making process can be done in a one-on-one -on -one personal way. Because this is how souls are won. And if you want to know some ways, you just get yourself a discipleship handbook, which all of you should have already. 
on sale at camp meeting for $9.99 at the ABC. And go to the last five chapters, which talk about the different phases of evangelism. And the first one is on sowing the seed. In that last section, I think it's chapter 24, sowing the seed. And at the end of the chapter, it gives practical ways to sow the seed of truth. Share something God has done in your life, either in the past or the present. Tell the story of how you came to know Christ and became a Seventh-day Adventist. Offer to pray with someone. Share Bible promises when you know someone is facing a difficult situation. Uh, distribute small sharing tracts, etc. by leaving them places, handing them to strangers, etc. I, le- I read Sowing the Seed, but I meant to read Preparing the Soil. Preparing the Soil. Take time to build a friendship by striking up a conversation and being a good listener. Minister to a need. Prepare a meal for someone who is sick or grieving. Babysit. Provide transportation, etc. Give a gift that would be meaningful. Do an activity together of a particular interest to your friend. Go out to a restaurant together. Invite your friend home for a meal. Take time to help someone with a project. Home repair, gardening, craft project, car repair. Be sensitive to periods of stress and crisis in your friend's life. And go out of your way to offer support. And pray for the Holy Spirit to open your friend's heart to spiritual things. You'll notice that that whole list was things that you as a person, as an individual, can do to start preparing the soul of the heart of another individual. Every one of these then talks about that in the same way. Sowing the seed talks about sharing a piece of literature or sharing your testimony or whatever, as I shared. Cultivation talks about, you know, uh, giving a Bible study, inviting someone to an evangelistic series, uh, inviting them to watch evangelistic videos, uh, bringing them to Sabbath school or church or prayer meeting. I like this one. Invite someone to your local conference camp meeting. Do you know that when my little brother, when I was studying the Bible with my little brother, uh, he was, you know, very deep in the world, and because he had followed my path. But anyway, um, it was, it was, I knew going to be a bumpy road, and there were certain things that I knew that I needed to try to call for decisions about, but I could tell that I just didn't feel like he was going to respond favorably just yet. So I kind of cruised a little bit and, and got him to camp meeting. Like, camp meeting was part of my soul-winning process. You understand what I'm saying? I utilized it to bring about a spiritual uh, conviction and that sort of thing. And sure enough, he came, he sat through some messages and I would talk to him and he looked like deer in the headlights. I can't believe, you know, and and we went home. I didn't even have to make an appeal and he was already making the changes that I wanted him to make, that I knew that he needed to make. And uh, so I really believe that cultivating happens in many different ways. While you're giving Bible studies, you're also finding different ways, different people to connect them with, different messages for them to hear, different literature for them to have. You're trying to get them to that decision, those decisions that you need them to get them to. Anyway, and then of course it, says, it talks about harvesting and how you can get somebody to make decisions for Christ and what have you, and then preserving, you can personally mentor someone. So you have these, this process, it's all, it can be personal. But in addition, The local church does all of these things. So you have them all on a personal level, but you also have them all on a local church level. On a personal level, you prepare the soil by, you know, doing something kind for your neighbor, et cetera, et cetera. On a local church level, what do you do? What does a local church do? 
a, a cooking class, a supper club, you know, a community service project, right? So the local church can do events and programs that prepare the soil. I saw, yes, a hand. Oh, everything's in the discipleship handbook. What do you mean? What, do you, what, what specifically are you talking about? When you read in, in the chapters on, uh, on pre preparing the soil and what have you in here, it's primarily aimed at the personal. It gives all the ideas for personally preparing the soil. Okay? Because this is mentoring an individual who's reading it and how they, you know, you wouldn't tell them, hold a cooking class, you know. But, but, they, but it's teaching them how to, as a personal soul winner, a disciple of Christ, how they can lead someone to Christ. Yes, yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, um, you're getting the idea. Uh, and let me just skip ahead here. How would the local church have harvesting? They hold a public evangelistic campaign, right? And the local church, how could they do discipleship, discipleship ministry, right? You set up some mentors, use something like the discipleship handbook, and you have a process and a ministry that you use. If I'm not careful, brother, if I'm not careful, I will start preaching about what I need to talk about tomorrow. And you are tempting me greatly right now. But you're absolutely, you're spot on, and just in brief, <laughs> in brief, I'll say that these all merge. I mean, they're, they're illustrated as independent things because we need to be able to speak to what they are, but there's, there's clear merging that happens. In fact, when you talk about events, there really probably isn't, there aren't too many events that only do one thing. Like if you have a public evangelistic, evangelistic meeting, you want that to reap decisions, but you're also, for many people, it's the first time they've ever heard certain things, so you're planting and cultivating. Many of them don't make decisions during the meeting, and they don't make decisions till later. Um, you're also building relationships because it's a long-term type of thing. But what we do is we try to emphasize what is the purpose of the particular thing or what is the central uh, focus of it. Um, but there's a lot of merging that happens. But the truth is we talk about this as discipleship, but that's a little bit of a misnomer because this is discipleship. Like the whole thing is making disciples. Let me, let me plant a thought in your mind. When you give someone a Bible study, you are doing two things. Number one, you are cultivating their interest and leading them further in their understanding of the truth, right? But secondly, you are teaching them that Seventh-day Adventist church members give Bible studies. Did you hear what I said? When you give someone a piece of literature, you're doing two things. Number one, you're helping them to learn truth that they had not heard before. And number two, you're telling them that genuine disciples of Christ share their faith. You see, you're not only leading them in terms of, of, of consuming but you are going through the process of leading them to think as a producer. Because ultimately, when they get to this point, that is the shift that has to happen. The shift that has to happen is where they get from being a consumer to a producer. 
when it, and, 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 and I'm already going there, so I might as well go. But the idea of closing the back door, the idea of closing the back door, I have come to believe is a bad idea. Do you hear what I said? It's an awful idea. Who in the world wants people to stay just because we locked them in? Leave that back door wide open. I want them to stay because they are convicted to stay, because they are producers. I mean, let me tell you something. Not too long ago, I went and did a, a thing over in wherever where I went, Taiwan, on discipleship. And I did this, this series, this uh, three-day thing on discipleship. And on my way, I'm, I'm thinking to myself on my way, and I thought, what has the church, what is the church currently doing to retain me? Because the title of the thing was Retention and Reclamation. I'm on a committee at the General Commons, a Nurture and Retention Committee. And I thought, what is the church doing to retain me? And you know what I came up with? Nothing. Do you know what else? I'm totally fine with it. Because you know why? I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> you know why I'm not going anywhere? Because I've already wrestled with the truth. I've, I've, I've wrestled with the Lord. I have taught the truth. I've led people into it. I've, I've, I'm persuaded. You understand what I'm saying? I'm invested and I am fully convinced. What we need when we're talking about discipleship is not, if we focus on retention, like we need to retain them, then our focus is on holding their hand, making sure we don't offend them, making sure we multiply friends for them and affirm them and rub their shoulders. But at the end of the day, none of us is going to keep anyone in the church. It's their conviction from their experience with God and from, I'm not telling you because it's all in here, you know, make friends, integrate, spiritual, have all that, it's all in here. But at the end of the day, it's when they change from being a consumer to being a producer that they are staying. And brothers and sisters, this whole process of making disciples is about that exact thing. And if you look at the life of Jesus with the disciples, that's exactly what was happening. The disciples learned to pray by watching Jesus pray. They learned to teach by watching Jesus teach. They learned everything they learned, they learned from watching Jesus. And do you know what Jesus was doing all the time? He was winning souls. <laughs> what, what do you. Jesus said that, uh, that every disciple who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. So, what was the teacher's job? What was he doing? all the time as they followed him around. He was sharing the truth. He was mingling with people in order to, to win their hearts and to, and to share the gospel and to win them to Christ and to reconcile them to God. I mean, that's his whole purpose. And as disciples of Christ, that is our purpose. And this is where, I'm going to circle back here, these two things become a challenge. Because 
Whereas you do a lot of corporate things to prepare the soil, cooking schools, community service, whatever, corporate things to harvest, public evangelistic meetings or Bible seminars, corporate things here, you create a discipleship ministry and what have you, there's not a lot of corporate that happens to share literature, for instance. I mean, you can have the occasional outreach day or whatever, but the basis of literature is to share literature like the leaves of autumn. And how does that happen and where does that happen? That happens by individual church members. Okay? That's just how it happens. And there's not a lot of corporate stuff that goes on to cultivate interest. That's Bible studies. You know, I mean, you can create a Bible study, and I believe, and what we usually talk about when we talk about a corporate is creating a Bible school, like Bible study offer, and having recruiting and training leaders and all that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, it's it's not done in a in a group program. It's done individually. It's not even done in, usually in a class. So this is why these tend to be such a uh, missing link in the church. And people will get involved in the church as long as they're involved in corporate ministry. You know why corporate ministry is easier? Because it has a start date and an end date. <laughs> like, even when you get involved in public evangelism, tell me the truth, you get all these people who are signed up to be part of the team, right? You're the greeters, you're the registration, you're the whatever, and then at the end, you know, everybody's getting a little weary, and you get to the last night, and whoa, okay, and then the next week, everybody's like, okay, how many are we going to baptize, or whatever, but there's not oftentimes, I mean, there's a sense in their mind that, that once that is over, my job in that is over, and, and it, their job may be over, but the point is, if that's all that they are doing... It's very convenient, you know, it's, it's easy to do it because it's part of a, a little box, a corporate box that we do. Uh, the health things, oftentimes an event that we do and people get involved in it and there's a lot of prep, there's a lot of afterward, I'm not minimizing it in any way, but I'm just saying it's, it's the corporate things that the church tends to lean more toward. And what's missing in the church is personal ministries. But this idea of personal ministries being a problem, let me tell you how big of a problem is. Like, like to me, and I may be biased, but to me, personal ministries is the heart of the church. Like, when we talk about finishing the work, it will not be finished by the ministry. It will be finished by ministers and church officers joining with the vast body of church members being involved in sharing the truth. That's how the work gets finished. In fact, if I wanted to wax eloquent, I would talk to you about the whole purpose for Bible studies in the Seventh-day Adventist Church and how God showed Ellen White in vision that there would be hundreds and thousands of Seventh-day Adventists going and sharing the Bible, and she saw it in vision to be a great reformation, right? What does that look like? You know what it looks like? It looks like the early church. Because when you read in Acts chapter 8, it says that right after the stoning of Stephen, there was a great persecution, and everybody was scattered except the apostles. The apostles were still in Jerusalem. So the church members were scattered. Do you know what they did? You just keep reading, and it says they went everywhere preaching the word. So effective were they that in Acts chapter 11, it says that the church in Antioch was raised up 
by the lay people who were going and preaching the word. I mean, it's incredible. And the word got back to Jerusalem. They were like, whoa, we better go make sure these yahoos know what they're doing. They went and checked it out and like, wow, this is fantastic. Keep doing what you're doing. And Paul and Barnabas ended up making Antioch their home base for their missionary tours. It was like their church raised up by lay people. Not only that, but in Antioch was a place that we were first called Christians from the work of these lay people who went everywhere preaching the word. I mean, that's personal ministry. And you understand that there's coming a time where we're not going to be able to call together everyone for a cooking school. There's coming a time where we're not going to be able to have a big public evangelistic meeting. That avenue will no longer be available to us. And when that comes, what will be left? Personal ministry. ministry. And do you know how bad it is? I'll tell you how bad it is. When I went as personal ministries director here in the Michigan Conference to the North American Division personal ministries uh, meeting. So it would be all the personal ministries directors from the North American Division. There may have been 18 or so. Most conferences do not even have a personal ministries director anymore. If you look in uh, unions, look in unions. I don't know a single union that has a personal ministries director. Now, you can look in unions and find education directors, find, find all kinds of other departmental directors. But personal ministries is like, you know, that stepchild that just keeps getting kicked around, and it's so silly to me. We're talking about, you talk about total member involvement, you talk about finishing the work, you talk about the, the part that's central. It's personal ministries. I mean, it's the whole, I mean, look at this. This is the work of the church. I can't even fathom why we would not invest our resources in this. This is why I'm really glad for the Mission Conference invests in personal ministries. Uh, And uh, Mark with Emmanuel is now kind of connecting with the department as associate director and continuing to lead with Emmanuel so that there's more emphasis being placed on personal ministries in the Michigan Conference. But I'm telling you, in most places, that is not not the trend. It's like they don't know, what, what is the purpose of this again? You know, why or why personal ministry? I mean, it's, it's crazy. But I'm, but I'm here to tell you that this is because of the trend that we have away from personal truth-sharing labor. We are focused on preparing the soil. We are focused on compassionate ministry. And in some cases, in some places, we're focused on public proclamation through evangelistic meetings. But the idea of mobilizing the laity to share the truth and give Bible studies, which by the way, um, God gave us the Bible study method so that lay people could get involved in sharing the truth. That's the the whole reason. Uh, Ellen White actually says, the plan of giving Bible readings, this is a quote, and, and we would today call Bible readings... Bible studies is essentially the same. The plan of giving Bible readings was a heaven-born idea. Wow, a heaven-born idea. And the real reason for it was because we could get lay people involved. As soon as Stephen Haskell discovered it, that, that, that God had shown Ellen White you know, this plan, he went and started doing training events sort of similar to what we have here. He did a 10-day Bible reading institute, and he called not ministers, but anyone 
men and women, old and young. He said, even if your head is sprinkled with gray hairs, you are none too old to read the Scriptures and to tell what God has done for you. I mean, that was the excitement of it in the church was that now we were no longer dependent upon the ministers to finish the work. They were like, we can finish the work. Because we have all these lay people, and we have now a method that's simple, and we can get the message out through. We were multiplying our effectiveness. And now the church is shrinking it again. Oh, it's so incredible. We need a revival, don't we? I saw a hand about five minutes ago. Absolutely. And you know, you, you make a good point. When you have to do things that are, that are difficult, and in case you haven't learned yet, soul winning is difficult. When you don't have to do that, you know, it doesn't push you to wrestle with God in the same way that you do when you really are uh, pushed. All right, let me have a short prayer and then I'll, we'll take a, sh- a break. Father, um, we just want to pause here in the middle of our session to thank you for leading us to just an awareness and a realization of that need for personal truth-sharing labor. Every one of us as disciples of Christ needs to feel that calling on ourselves and we need to be able to articulate that to our churches. So bless us and give us help from heaven. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org